Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders podcast, where we chase those mindset-making moments that shape the lives and the careers of business leaders and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum, and I can't wait to share this week's episode with you guys. We're speaking with Vicki Spansky, the president of intelligence over at Lidos. She takes us through a quick journey of some of her own personal experiences of living her career and her life on the jungle gym, learning from her experiences. Sometimes they seem like a mistake. They seem like something bad, only to find out it's exactly what you needed. She shares her insights on why we need not just mentors, but champions. So really excited to get into this week's episode. Thank you again to everyone who's been liking and subscribing to our material. If this is your first time, please remember to follow us, subscribe wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast. Also check us out on YouTube. Remember to subscribe there and on Instagram. Our website is being launched soon where you'll find the mindset making moments and the mindset making reading list coming out along with our op-eds from all of our guests. And of course, DC Local Leaders has partnered with NVTC, that's Northern Virginia Technology Council, to bring you Let's Talk Tech with NVTC. It's a video series every month that we put out where we speak to technology leaders in the Northern Virginia area. So check it out. Our next episode is coming out with Accenture. And as always, I like to remind everyone about the veteran-owned small business NoteCast. Former Special Forces members have formed a technology company where they've created an app called NoteCast. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a podcast listening app that allows you, the listener, to take notes directly from the app. Simply tap the screen where it says transcribed, and it does just that. It transcribes a note directly to your phone, both audio and in text. You can email it to yourself or just keep it on your phone and listen to it later. So check out NoteCast. Let us know what you think, and let's get into the episode. Well, welcome. I'm really excited to speak with you. Uh, today's episode of the DC Local Leaders Podcast is here in the office of Lidos with Vicki Schmansky, the president of Lidos Intelligence. Thank you so much. Happy to join you today. So intelligence is one of those words that's kind of like saying like law or engineering or, or you're a doctor. It's kind of there's more than one thing in there. And it's like, are you an optometrist or a heart surgeon? Or, you know, what is <laughs> What does that mean? Talk to us a little bit about Lighthouse in general and kind of some of the things they do within intelligence, if okay. you can. No, I can tell you some, the rest of it, you know, I yeah. can tell you, but Top I have secret. to kill you. You right. get that part. Anyway, you know, yeah, everybody asks me that question. You're the president of the intelligence group. What does that mean? Are you the smartest pe person at Lighthouse? And I always laugh and say, no. What it means is that I run the business around the intelligence community agencies here at Lighthouse. So, you know, we do the same kind of work that we do across Lighthouse, supporting the missions of the intelligence customers, helping them bring all the capabilities from digital transformation to software development, data analytics, mission operations work, Intel tradecraft. We bring all of that in to support all of our customers in the intelligence community. Now, within your group, what can you say about your team specifically as some of the, the biggest drivers, say the top three? 
Okay, so top three. Um, we're very mission focused. I think I mentioned that the missions of the intelligence community are really, really critical to the security of our nation. And so we take that very seriously. Across Lighthouse, we're a very mission focused company. So I would say that's probably number one. We focus on the missions of our customers. Number two, we have a great phrase in Intel, mission first, people always. Um, and it really rings true. So while missions is important, we can't do it without the people. So much of the, of the Intel community is about trust and uh, the people supporting those missions. And so therefore, you know, we focus on people and what can we do to recruit our people, to develop our people, to make sure that they are well positioned to achieve all the hard things in the Intel community. Last year was particularly challenging. We had something called COVID going on, something that none of us anticipated. And within the intelligence community, it became very critical that we focus not only on how do we continue to support the mission, but specific to our organization, we had to focus on keeping the people safe while accomplishing that mission because the large majority of the Intel folks actually had to come to work every day because they have to work in secure environments. You know, while teleworking was a great option for many, and we did take advantage of it where we could, we could not fully take advantage of that telework within the entire intelligence community because we had to work in secure facilities. So mission first, people always took on kind of a new definition last year. And then the third thing is innovation. You know, at Lighthouse, you know, connecting the two actually, you know, those hard missions require us to raise the bar on technology all the time in order to stay ahead of the game, stay ahead of our adversaries and where they're going. And we need technological innovation in order to accomplish those missions. And if you think about it, accomplishing those missions, tying together what's going on uh, from a people perspective, we need the people and the culture to innovate. And then we bring that innovation back uh, into into the missions that support our customers. Yeah. You know how I can tell that you're just an amazing leader and someone that, you know, I'm sure people just love working for is because almost everything you just said included the people. It wasn't just about, <laughs> you know, Lighthouse. And it's very easy, I think, for some people in a leadership position to be consumed with their responsibility for the firm or for the organization, especially in a defense contracting position, because it's also the entire country. And sometimes maybe forget about the people, but you haven't done that. You know, and I think that uh, when you do that, people feel like they belong and that they fit in. But there is a difference between the two of those. And, and I think they both have a place. When you hear those words, belonging and fitting in, what does that mean to you? So actually, it goes to one of my favorite phrases, be authentic. When I think of fitting in, and, and I've been in this industry for a long time, I, you know, over 30 years. So I started when I was two, you know, so um, <laughs> not really, but that's the way I feel sometimes it's been a fast ride. But, you know, I, I remember fitting in meant something very specific as a female. It meant that you were coming to work every day and you were trying to be one of the guys. You know, it, it means coming into a culture and just trying to redefine who you are, try to be like everybody else in the room. And I'm a big advocate for inclusion and diversity. And I'm seeing that all the time, not just with women, but with other minorities as well. You know, people that come to work every day and try to fit in, in order to, to make it through their day. Right. And I just think that is so sad. Um, and, you know, and so I'm really trying to create a culture where people feel like they belong and hence the authentic part, right? I want people to be able to bring their whole selves to work every day. And that sounds like such an easy concept, but like I just started to allude to, it really isn't. 
And I'm on the Enterprise Inclusion Council at Lighthouse. We stood this up about six months ago because we did put a new value in our, in our organization called inclusion. And that focus is all about how do we create a culture where people can bring their whole selves to work every day. And then you can create that sense of belonging. When people don't feel like they have to leave themselves at home and be something different than who they really are, you, can, you, you get a sense of inclusion, you get that sense of belonging, and you truly create a culture that people wanna be a part of. They're bringing their best selves, so they're truly bringing everything to the table to bring into that innovation thing we talked about, to support yeah. our hard missions. All of that's an imperative. When, when you first started to, to show up to the work, did you always have that mindset of, I'm not going to fit in. I'm just going to be my authentic self? So I'm an off-the-scale extrovert. So I think that made it fairly easy for me to, to fit in without really trying too hard. But I do feel like at some point... Somebody once said to me, I think it was somebody in human resources that said, I think it's really sad that all the women are trying to act like guys or talking like guys or dressing like guys. We need to be more authentic. We need to bring our whole selves to work. That was a pivotal moment. There was also a pivotal moment later in my career when I was promoted into the defense group. And I remember sitting at a table with a bunch of very senior defense leaders and, uh, you know, they weren't used to having a lot of women in the room at the time. This was many, many years ago. It's a different environment now, of course. And I, and I realized that I felt like that Charlie Brown's mom moment yeah. where, you know, I was talking and they weren't really hearing me, you know, and I, I think at that moment in time, I realized I needed to find advocates in the room so I could get my message across. And so, you know, I found a way to partner with a friend of mine who every time I would say something and somebody else would do that, you know. They would say it five minutes later, and I would say, I think I already said that. And it turns out I was saying that. Yeah. So I think the verbal cues of trying to figure out how to get my message across with people in the room was important as well. That idea that I need an ally in the room to make sure that I'm heard, where did that come from? Did you just have that in you, or were you, did you have a mentor at the time or someone to help you kind of figure that out? Or So there came a point in time where we started taking some training courses you know, about micro-inequities, um, about unconscious bias and things like that. And I, I think I, I heard about this concept of micro inequity that I really wasn't familiar with. And, and they raised the point that sometimes women's voices aren't heard in rooms. And so I think I had a heightened awareness to the issue. And so when I walked into a room and started realizing that it wasn't that I was just talking too much, it was that people just weren't hearing me for some reason, I realized that maybe there were some unconscious biases in the room. And so I decided to ally with a friend of mine at the table who I said, you know, I think this is happening to me. Will you help listen and see if it's just me? Am I being paranoid or is it actually happening? I discovered that I was making points. And then five minutes later, that proverbial uh, gentleman would say the same point and everybody would pile on and say, great idea. And, you know, and therefore I would come back and say, I think I just said that, but I didn't want to come across defensive. Right. So instead I would reflect on it later, try to figure out how maybe I could be more impactful, but I also talked to my ally in the room. And so what he started doing in the room for me is listening for it. And then when it happened in the moment, he would say, I think Vicky just said that. And people would look. And then he would say, here were her exact words. And then they would say, you know what? She did just say that. 
And then it became a pivotal moment that people started listening to me differently. The awareness grew. The, you know, the awareness grew. And and I felt that I was more impactful. But yeah. it was a journey. And that you were heard. Yeah, but you, you stuck it out. I think that's great advice for anyone who may be experiencing that now. You know, but the word awareness sticks out, um, that you had the awareness to to do two things. To one, recognize it, but then also, you know, you had two thoughts. Is it me and how else can I verify this, right? You know, trust but verify. So I kind of want to dig into that a little bit more. When we talk about awareness, so myself, I, I do a lot to increase my awareness. It's a lot of reading. I have a meditation practice. I have a prayer routine. I have a journaling routine. I take these cold showers. It's ridiculous. It's a whole thing. But that's me. Do you have, uh, you know, an individual routine of your own or a morning routine? So I decided at one point I needed to get out and start walking. And that's become a routine. You know, it's developed into a morning routine where every morning I try to walk at least three and a half miles. It's a 5K. You know, I'm not running. Why am I not running? Well, one, because, you know, I, I find myself when I walk, I can actually think and I can talk to people. So Oftentimes, like this morning, as I was walking, I start thinking of all the people I'd like to call and I have my cell phone with me and I start connecting with people. But I developed this routine where I can walk and it's my time to think, to recharge. You know, you mentioned meditation. A lot of people do that. Um, I respect that. I want to do that. I don't sit still very well. So walking for me is movement. It's out there. It's exercise. I find that I actually get more energy out of walking and it gives me time for myself that I generally don't take. You know, I'm a, I'm a wife and a mother. I have two senior high school daughters that are very, very busy. Twins, right? Twin daughters. Yes. Yes. Twin daughters um, going through senior, senior year in high school. And, uh, and so I don't take as much time for me, but that's my me time. I take that hour. I go out and I walk, I think. Um, and then I come back and get a cup of coffee because even though that energizes me, I still need that kickstart. I'm not a morning person but it's been a great routine for getting me going in the morning, for putting me in a positive kind of light as I walk into the office and, and hit my day. Well, you know, I hear you just, you're meditating through walking. You're having a single, single thought. You're concentrating on yourself. You're present in that moment. You're thinking about only what's going on in your mind at that moment. That's a, that's a meditation by itself. Because I'm an extrovert, I'm not usually alone, but I have enjoyed that reflection time where yeah. I am just on my own thinking working through any issues, just letting my thoughts take over. So you, you mentioned showing up in a positive way. And we were talking about positivity, you know, before we even started. And that's a very big part of, of my daily routine. And, and I've got a gratitude practice. How does gratitude show up, you know, in your life every day? Or, you know, how often do you kind of reflect on that kind of stuff? Have you found it valuable to do something like that? Absolutely. I do truly believe in gratitude and being thankful for what we have. And I try to reflect on that. You know, I'm often grateful for the people around me. You know, I do focus a lot on people. I am grateful to my leadership team. I'm grateful to the breadth of people that, that support me. And I try to find a way to thank folks um, every day. We did back in the middle of COVID, we did something called a gratitude campaign at Lados, 30 Days of Gratitude. Uh, every day on our PRISM site, which is our internal website, there was a new little thing where you were supposed to either write a thank you note to somebody, send an email to somebody, pick up the phone and call somebody you haven't called in a while. I took that very seriously. And I blogged every single day, almost. I think I missed one or two and then I caught up. But I did every single one of those 30 things because I wanted to find new ways to be grateful. 
And I do think it's really important. I'm sure that had an impact. What response did you get from your team and people around you of, of the impact? It's doing something like that, not seeing you do it, but them doing it as an individual. Did anyone share with you what that meant to them? If yes. It changed anything? Uh, yes. And I mean, it was a it was a blog post. So what I found most exciting about it is it wasn't just my leaders joining in and blogging because they follow me. The best part was seeing everybody was enjoying that, whether it was post a picture that you took today of some beautiful moment. Like I took a picture of the sunrise because I was walking. And so it was exciting to see that other people were engaging and finding ways to be grateful in the middle of COVID. You know, one of the days was, what's one habit you changed during COVID? And I got to reflect on everybody else's thoughts and ideas. And then I also picked up some habits. They said, write a personal thank you. I reflected on how important and how meaningful that is because I've received personal thank yous. And so we had an Intel leadership uh, offsite a couple of weeks ago. It was all virtual. We had some amazing speakers and I wrote personal thank yous to all of those speakers. And we put them in a gift box. We gave them a Lido's swag kind of gift, but I, I, I took that away from it. So you know, the impact it made on the people getting connected with more people in the organization and what they're doing, and then reflecting on some new ways to be grateful, other than just saying thank you all the time, uh, were two takeaways for me. I love that. I love that. I did something similar just with that, right? I made sure that it had something specific to you on it in that card and and what I gave you when we started the refocus band there. And, you know, I've just learned that from leaders like you. And I think what you just described, even that gratitude posting and things like that, that is an example of leadership. It's not you talking about the fact that you are a leader. It's you expressing actions that you're taking to live the value of being a leader. How has your mindset on leadership and what it means changed over time? It's something I've been trying to create as a culture of what we call Lighthouse Lifers. But let me talk about kind of the organization that I inherited when we first stood up the Intel group, because, you know, we, we talked about the challenges of supporting the mission and the environments our people have to work in, that they have to come into skiffs. You can't take a cell phone into your place of work. You, know, you can't connect to the external internet oftentimes and just schedule your doctor's appointment. So we ask a lot of people to come in to Intel. And when I took over the Intel group, we needed to figure out a way that we could recruit people to come into the workforce. So one of the things we started talking about was mission first, people always. We know one of the things that attracts people to Intel is the mission. They're impactful and people just want to be a part of it once they get in and find out what that is. Absolutely. You know, but then we started saying, what else do we need to do? And so I sat down with my human resources lead and we stood up something that we called the Intel Pillars. We said, we're going to create four groups that focus on the various areas that will help us recruit, retain, and develop the workforce. So what we did with those is I didn't just ask my leadership team to take on one of those initiatives. We decided to engage the entire workforce. And so the structure of each of those pillars, each one has an executive sponsor, which is one of my operations managers, one of my direct reports. Then we have somebody that's somebody uh, that, that volunteers, somebody in our talent plan, somebody who's high potential stands up and says, I'm going to be the lead of that pillar. Each one has an HR business partner that works with them and helps facilitate the pillar. And the rest of it is viral engagement from the team. Those folks recruit from across the Intel workforce. We have, I think, over 97 people that are engaged across all the pillars. 
We have multiple sub teams that have stood up and those people are getting their voices heard. They're making an impact. And that's been the best part about our strategy for workforce development is that I get to hear from the grassroots what the issues are. And as we listen, we're picking initiatives in each of those pillars where we can make an impact. You started as a technical person. Did you ever see yourself being in a leadership position? I I think I've always wanted to be a leader. I think I've always been a leader. And um, that's one of the pieces of advice that I give to people when they say, you know, I want to be a leader. How can I become a leader? And I say the way to become a leader is to lead. I did a speech at a college one time called Everything You Ever Wanted to Know You Learned in Kindergarten. That applies to leadership. You know, my, my mother tells me that there's pictures of me when I was three and every picture I have my little winter coat on. And I'm like, mom, why am I wearing a coat in the house, outside, everywhere I got a coat on? She goes, because since the day you were born, you wanted to go, 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 go. You know, when I was in kindergarten, my mother tells the story. You were the first person in the classroom that knew everybody's name. You wanted to know everybody. Maybe that was the genesis of my focus on people. But I wanted to know everybody's name. I wanted to lead. I wanted, you know, I, I liked Uh, being in that leadership role and making that impact. So yes, I was an engineer at UVA, University of Virginia. I bleed blue and orange. So thank you. This wristband that you gave me that is absolutely amazing. And I love the quote, hustle plus heart will set you apart. I think, you know, that that kind of reads to who I am. I'm always on the go. I have a lot of passion. I have a lot of passion for the people. I have a lot of passion for what I do. So while I knew it was important to have that technical foundation, And I loved engineering and I love math and I love solving hard problems. In the end, I didn't sit at that computer screen very long in program. Mm. You know, I quickly got into leadership roles and then led teams of people. How'd you do that, though? Did you volunteer for them? Did you uh, associate with some sort of, um, you know, program manager development program? Like how someone who's there, someone who wants to be you, like what can they be doing actively right now? To, to get themselves a commendation of all of the above. I mean, my first leadership was, you know, probably in high school, I was like secretary of the band. I was president of the national honor society. You know, there were the roles like that you can take on that are, that are leadership roles that you can apply for. You can sign up for. I was involved in leadership roles through college, through different um, things that I was involved with. Uh, but once I get into the workforce, I started as a summer intern. And so my first leadership role wasn't a classical leadership role. It was two years in when we started bringing in summer interns and my boss said, you keep saying you want to be a leader. Why don't you be in charge of the summer interns? Mm -hmm. And it was two summer interns, but I was in charge of their summer experience. And so I had to make sure that they got good assignments, that they learned a lot, that they got a lot of value, that I was communicating expectations, connecting them with the right folks mentoring them along the way. And at Lighto's, yes, you should always let people know what you want to do. There's leadership roles on paper, right? but that's not all the leadership roles. There's non-traditional roles, like the folks that raise their hand and say, I want to be one of your pillar leads. right? And then we formed subcommittees and they say, I want to be one of your subcommittee leads. So there are a lot of different types of non-traditional leadership roles where you can get that experience and then show set. and build that skill set so that when you do want to apply for the more fe- formal leadership roles, you're ready to do that. I've heard that from a couple different leaders. They've said that, you know, leadership skills get built in so many different ways. It can happen at a boys and girls club. It can happen at some sort of volunteer outside of work that has nothing to do with your day to day, but it's something that you, well, you lead other people. It's the skill set of 
taking responsibility and being accountable for an action, but using other people to help you do it and to motivate them to want to even participate and those sort of things. And that comes from so many different places. It's not just being in charge of something necessarily all the time. I think it's important to always touch on how fear and vulnerability is intertwined with growth, right? All of those moments, that moment of fear is actually a moment of growth. That's what growth feels like to me anyway. Um, it never, in my mind, it's going to look awesome and it's going to feel so good. And I'm, you know, everything's going to work out well. Like, but usually when I'm growing and I'm learning something new, it's pretty painful, at least emotionally, if not physically, you know, and I talk about this jumping off point and I've been there a couple of times in my own personal life where I didn't necessarily know what to do next, but I knew I couldn't keep doing what I was doing because it just wasn't working for me. And that was a very fearful time because it's like, well, the uncertainty, right? Uh, fear of uncertainty is, is pretty scary. Um, and, you know, in some ways, there's no motivation like no alternative also. Um, what can you say about the jumping off point or have you been there before? I know that, you know, you, like a lot of other leaders, have mentioned the word jungle gym versus a ladder to me. Um, yes. Yes. So, so I will talk about the fact that, you know, when I do mentoring sessions, I've got a favorite briefing that I put together called Things I Learned on the Jungle Gym, because I'm a big fan of the fact that careers need to be a jungle gym versus a ladder. First of all, if you're just trying to climb the ladder, you know, the opportunities just aren't as prolific. I am certainly somebody who has treated my career as a jungle gym versus a ladder. And, you know, so you talked about fear. So I'll touch on that briefly, and then I'll jump to the piece I really want to talk about, which is the turning point. But Fear is, to me is all about taking risks. And when I mentor folks, I say, never be afraid of taking a risk. Always stand out by taking on that hard job. If you fail, and you might, and failure is okay, all right, you will have learned something invaluable. And generally, the people around you know they're putting you into a really hard job. And so, you know, they are going to help you be successful. So you need to accept that help. But there's also a risk of failure. And, and, but if you fail, like I said, you will learn something that you will take to the next opportunity and then it will continue to grow. Yeah. I was going to say, so you mentioned something there that was so important and was an important lesson for me. And I, I don't, I want to get your take. It's already sometimes hard enough to ask for help because there's this innate idea that like, I should know how to do it, or it's a reflection of me. Um, if I don't know how to do it, when actually that is a skill set of leadership to be able to say, I need help doing this. It's also an even, but asking for it's one thing, accepting it when it comes to you, because it doesn't always feel good to, for your ego I need to learn or that I don't know how to do, or I'm going to have to supplement. What can you say about that? Oh, I, I, I can totally relate because, you know, if that help can feel like criticism yeah, and it's really not meant to come across that way. You know, I think I, whenever that happens to me, I always have to reiterate in my brain over and over again, the mantra that, you know, one of my first mentors say, remember, Vicki, feedback is a gift. That goes to the awareness that we <laughs> talked about. Like, yeah, you have that. Yeah. And you asked for this yeah. and they're giving it to yeah. you and, yeah. and you want to learn. Now you just, you have things that you can work on. It, it is so easy when you get that to try to be defensive. I, I know I do that. So this is a constant journey that I'm on. So I'm by no means perfect. You know, you know, I, I want the help. I want the feedback. But just yesterday we were we were briefing one of the things that I'm working with my colleagues and they were giving us feedback. And I was like, I wanted our deliverable to be perfect. You know, I wanted that feedback in a way, but I also wanted, you know, them to say, oh, that's perfect. It's great. But that's really not helpful. Right. 
I mean, so at the end of the day, if you can be open-minded and you can say, we're going to be better because of the feedback we get, we're going to grow. If you could be open-minded and accept feedback for what it is, you get to pick and choose what you're going to implement from that feedback. Nobody's going to force you to take it. But I have always felt that if I could take a step back, get over the defensiveness mm-hmm. and reflect on what people that are really telling me and benefit from their experiences, then I will truly grow and, you know, and, and we'll truly all be better because of it. So I, I try to take it to heart pretty yeah. seriously. What was that jumping off point? As I have gone through my career, and I don't think I realized this early on as I was going through, but about... At one point in my career, I started taking inventory of the skills I had acquired during the assignments that I had. Do you write it down? You're saying you take a formal inventory or is this like a process? I did do, a, I did do a formal inventory at that point because I started kind of coming up with a list of skills that I thought I needed. Actually, I think HR might have given us a checklist yeah. of leadership traits and I was doing kind of an inventory of which ones did I have, which ones didn't I have. Yeah. And I was starting to do it that way. But mm-hmm. I also started to reflect on how was I choosing assignments? And I was asked to do a lateral assignment at one point early in my career where a lot of people were going straight up the ladder and, you know, and go into the next promotional opportunity. But I was reflecting on the gaps that I had and realized that the lateral opportunity was going to give me some management skills and things like subcontract management, new domains, other things that were really going to benefit me. So fast forward to my turning point years later, I was a vice president at the time in a big defense company. We were starting to integrate our information technology part of the business into the rest of the organization. And most of the work I had been doing through my whole career was software development, integration work, real heavy development solutions work. And I was moving back to Washington. Um, my husband uh, was had been working in Pennsylvania. We were moving to Washington. We had two little kids. And so I went to my boss and I was looking for my next opportunity. And I said, I'm willing to open up the aperture. And I thought it was going to be another vice president's role running this IT organization that he was standing up in Washington. And at the last minute, he came back to me and he said, you know, I've changed my mind. I want you to be the deputy for the existing vice president that's running that IT organization. And I was devastated. You know, a lateral move wasn't going to change my title, my salary, wasn't going to change a thing. But it was going to be perceived as a demotion. Mm -hmm. And I struggled a lot with that. And I knew he struggled in asking me because he knew I was going to react that way. Right. And yet I reflected on that and it became a turning point. Why? Because I took the job. I decided to take that move. And in doing so, I acquired that domain expertise which was a large part of the strategic growth of that part of the company at the time. And ultimately, fast forward, put me in a position where that executive vice president became not only my mentor, but an advocate. And fast forward through a couple of jobs, I ended up in a vice president role running an IT organization that through performance, some significant wins in that area, some growth, some successive promotions, ended up at Lidos, and now I'm on the executive leadership team. And as I reflect, had I not taken that Mm. step that was lateral but seemingly down and tried to just worry about moving up, I wouldn't have acquired the breadth of experience to be successful as an executive leadership team member at Lidos, which is where I am today. Yeah. If you weren't on the jungle gym, you might not be If I wasn't on the jungle gym. Yeah. 
And you mentioned mentorship. Um, you do a lot with UVA. So I, I mentor a lot of people. Lighthouse has an active executive program for females and diverse candidates that I'm an active member of. And, you know, those relationships never go away. I take on at least two a year formally, and then I stick with those relationships. But I have longstanding relationships with with all kinds of folks across the company, but with a special emphasis on females, as you can imagine, um, I get a lot of requests for those kind of discussions. So I am a big fan of mentoring. I think everybody should have multiple mentors. Um, early in my career, one of my first bosses said a quote, which I've stolen and used, which is, I'm not going to be your mentor. I'm your boss. So you get me for free. But I do want you to find mentors and I'll help you find mentors. And I'm putting an S on the word because you're not going to find one person that's going to fill all your gaps. I love that. And so it's important to find somebody that's great at employee engagement, somebody that's great at relating to customers, somebody that's very strategic, mm -hmm. somebody, you know, what somebody that's really strong technologically, whatever mm -hmm. it is, find your gaps and then find the best person that can help you in each one of those and have multiple mentors. What does that look like? There's a lot of people that struggle. Then I don't want to ask someone to be my mentor. You don't have to. It's just simply going to coffee and having lunch and having dinner, right? I mean, I, yes. Yeah. I, I you know, if I had formal relationships, like I was trying to be monthly or even quarterly with all insane. the folks that are on my list, it would never happen. You know, my admin would, you know, just freak out because, yeah. you know, you could, you'd never get on my calendar to do the stuff I need to do. Just so call mine tend to be somebody these days, AI am me. Can I, can I have five minutes or I have an issue or I'm thinking about a job change or I've got this challenge. Yeah. So I do have formal relationships. That mentor protege program that we have here at Lighthouse is one of those. I meet monthly with those individuals for a year. And after that, it's phone calls, it's emails, it's ad hoc, it's grabbing a coffee, grabbing lunch, grabbing a, a cocktail after work and just relating to the folks. So a lot of it's ad hoc. It doesn't have to be formal. And that's why it can be multiple people. These days, um, most of my mentors, you know, are peers. Um, I uh, peers in industry, peers at the company. We mentor each other. You know, um, still learning a lot. Like I said, I went out to my peers yesterday and asked for feedback on one of our deliverables. That's mentoring, right? Of course. Um, but you know, if I'm having a challenge, we tend to peer mentor and help each other out through those challenges and share our experiences and our own businesses. So. I probably take advantage of that more these days, but but as I was coming up through my career, always took advantage of mentors. Uh, and not just mentors, I want to bring another concept in, the concept of a champion or an advocate. Mm. Because I think people often miss the fact that mentors are important and being able to pick up the phone and call somebody to get advice or feedback or help in a particular issue is important. But the thought of having somebody who is advocating for you in your career is even more important. You know, that's the person that's going to be in the room when you're not in the room right. that's helping you get that job. And so I try to coach people to not just focus on mentors, but also focus on building advocates and champions, those people that when they're in the room and saying, who should we consider for this next promotional opportunity, your name is coming up. I love that. You know, aside from your daughters, who else are you following these days? So, so I am following my daughters, but who am I following? It's not really who I'm following. It's what I'm following. Yeah. So given that I'm the group president of intelligence, I am following all the Intel trends and I'm involved in a bunch of the uh, industry associations within the Intel community. 
everything from one called USGIF, Geospatial Intelligence Forum. Yes, yeah. uh, Rhonda Shank. So we're, that one, National Security Space Association, INSA, the Intelligence and National Security Association. So I am working through those. I'm on boards for each of those groups, um, and I'm following what's going on in the intel community and trying to make an in- impact with my industry partners. And then I'm also following all the social justice uh, issues. And so I'm involved in something called the, the Women's Center that I'm a board member of which is focused on women that that have issues with either harassment or they've been abused or they just need help finding their way. So it's a women's support organization. Um, I'm involved in the Enterprise Inclusion Council here at Lighthouse. And I'm also uh, obviously involved in the activities, our inclusion diversity pillar within our workforce strategy. So I'm following all of, of those activities. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I mean, and actually, all of those um, organizations are great places for someone who may be mid-career and more technical in their experience to gain leadership uh, skills and probably find themselves a champion and an advocate. Yes. So I'm glad yes. you mentioned those. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. And uh, Thank you. It's yeah. been great. Mission first, people always. There we go. <laughs> thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders, on Instagram at DC Local Leaders, or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.